Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. Today I am joined by a wonderful and very funny guest. I have got Joe Thomas, who is the brand new CEO of AIB, which is the Australian Institute of Business. Joe has well over 15 years experience in senior roles for some of Australia's most iconic companies. Joe understands what drives rapid and sustainable growth, flawless execution, or authentic leadership and innovation. Experienced with both online and offline customer offerings, Joe Joe has had the privilege of leading large teams of extraordinary people to deliver exponential growth. Genuinely passionate about the human experience, she gets a kick out of making uh, both the workplace and customer interactions life-enhancing experiences. A true generalist, she finds success lies where people, process and data intersect focusing on identifying the tipping points that deliver a hockey stick growth curve, building awesome cultures to support that success and putting in place the foundations for best in class execution and growth is her speciality. Uh, I absolutely loved speaking with Joe today. We actually talked quite a bit about what it means to be a generalist and throwing out that rule book around career trajectory and career progression and making that next step or in in air quotes that right step uh joe has got an absolutely extensive background in multitudes of areas and uh, i absolutely loved our chat today jump on in if you are listening to this episode please make sure you hit follow and uh, of course leave us a review if you like it so that we can share with more and more people as well let's jump in and i'm sure you'll enjoy this one just as much as I did. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. I'm Ali Nitschke, your host of the podcast and also the founder and CEO of Made for More, where we work with leaders and organizations around building courageous leaders and having courageous conversations. I am very excited to be interviewing today's guest. Uh, Joe has jumped on uh, to chat with me today about all things around becoming and being a generalist. Hello, Joe Thomas, and welcome to the show. Hi, Ali, and thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure. Uh, as is the way that we kick off these uh, these interviews, where did you come from and where are you going? Well, I can answer the question really literally. I'm originally from New Zealand, if we're being literal, um, but celebrated my 20-year anniversary of being in Australia last oh, wow. week. Um, sometimes I have an accent, sometimes I don't, but love being in Adelaide because you all sound like Kiwis, so it makes my life easier. Ah. Um, but professionally, <laughs> which is what you're far more interested in knowing about, um, I, I have a really 
diverse uh, background. So I'm currently the CEO of Australian Institute of Business. So that's where I am today. Um, but I'm probably a little bit of an accidental CEO. So I started my career, my undergrad degree was in communications, because when you ask a 17 year old what they want to do, they think being a radio host sounds awesome. Um, I think it's because my mother wanted me to be a lawyer that radio hosts sounded more awesome. Yes. Um, ended up spending, moving to Australia by accident on my way to America. Uh, and the US but then the I got here 11 days after September 11 um, oh, and so wow. I we didn't know what the world was going to do and so I ended up yeah. um, spent time in Melbourne I worked in a call center and I remember looking at and I sincerely hope she never watches or listens to this podcast looking at my then team leader and thinking with the cockiness of a 23 year old yeah you can be a team leader I reckon I'll be CEO in 10 years now it took 20 instead of 10 um but, but I did eventually get there yeah and so I spent a lot of time in outsourcing um and then my career making job was when I was in the midst of studying an MBA uh and I was working incredibly hard and a friend said look you should go and um, apply for this job at iSelect and I remember reading the ad and thinking, oh, God, it pays the same as my current job. It looks like it's about one-tenth of the work. It'll basically be part-time. I'll it. go there, knock off my MBA, and then I'll go and get a real job. Um, and so I'd been in call centres at that point for a long time. And so I went there and six and a half, so again, had no intention of staying, was planning on staying <laughs> six months. Nice. Uh, six and a half years later, um, no one will learn from this that I'm intentional sometimes. Um, six and a half years later, um, we had listed on the stock exchange. I was the operations director. I looked after um, a number of departments from technology through to sales, through to product, um, through to just about everything else. Um, yeah. And really that was, that was the career maker for me in terms of um, learning how to apply um, those very generalist skills that I have picked up over my career um, and, and have a seat at the executive table. And so mm. um, six and a half years there, then I had a, had a beautiful hiatus for a period of time. I did some consulting for a year uh, and ended up at the direct competitor at Compare the Market. Um, only stayed oh. there for a year. Yep. Um, still have some meerkat dolls. In I was going to say, is that the, the meerkat cupboard? one? It must be, yeah. Uh, Yes. Advertising was bang on for them. It was, it was. Um, so it's a it's a subsidiary of a, of a UK company um, and really interesting job, but taught me that the cookie cutter approach doesn't work. So mm. a lot of what we'd done at Isolate was exactly the same business model and just tried to redo it. Yep. Different cultures, different people, different yes. time, different market um, in terms of how it had evolved. And so that was a that was a really powerful lesson for me. Um, I then went into business with a with a friend of mine, um, and we I did LED lighting wholesale for two and a half years. So completely different. Had gone from services, um, sales, insurance into um, LED wholesale direct to electricians, um, family business. Right. Okay, we'll touch back on that. <laughs> Completely different. Um, small business, retail front, wholesale, sales, um, spent some time in China, which was incredible. Um, did that for two and a half years uh, and then ended up here as the chief operating officer three years ago um, and had never worked in education before, ended up moving to Adelaide, which again, never intended to do so. Um, didn't actually mean to take the job, came for the interview only because they <laughs> had booked the flights quicker 
than I had meant to sort of withdraw from the process when I discovered it was Adelaide. And I didn't want to appear flaky. So I came to the interview. Just <laughs> I didn't want to appear flaky. <laughs> yeah, I look, I'm like, pay for the flights now. It would only be polite to turn up. Um, and met our then CEO and and understood the culture of AIB and just completely and utterly fell in love with yes. um, education and the organisation and suddenly I'm buying a farm in Adelaide um, <laughs> and, and taking a job in education. Uh, and then four months ago became CEO. Wow. Which was probably the only thing that was ever on the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think we're going to circle back a few times here. So four months ago, uh, firstly, huge congratulations. I think that that's an incredible, um, incredible story and journey to, you know, talk about get to get to where you're going and having a career plan. Uh, you know, it sometimes takes a little bit longer, but as long as we're pointing the arrow in the right direction, we get there eventually. I have so many questions. Firstly, you talked about being an accidental uh, CEO, which I love that term. What do you mean? Or, you know, have you heard this before? Is this something that you've coined yourself? Where did accidental CEO come from? I I might have heard it somewhere. I have been known to to pick stuff up and think that I've invented it. I think I might have invented it, but I'm sure it exists somewhere else in the world. Um, I think as much as at 23, um, I had said, oh, one day I'll be CEO. Actually, it's been a series. I didn't have a path. I hadn't mapped Mm. out, well, what are the skills that a CEO needs? In fact, every CEO that I have ever worked with has has had a law degree. So I've never worked in law, and yet it does seem that a legal background is very, very common. So, um, but I don't have a legal background. Uh, I didn't do my MBA to become a CEO. I did it to change industries and change jobs. Um, And so there wasn't a defined career path. It was only really when I came to AIB. So I'd been the 2IC to a CEO for a long time. So probably mm-hmm. the last 10 years of my career, um, mm-hmm. I'd been the, the right-hand person to a CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't necessarily have aspirations for the job ultimately. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is because I have always been an executor more than a strategist, would have been mm-hmm. how I had described oh, my good. career yeah. to that. Um, so the get things done, make things happen person, rather mm-hmm. than the worry about what's out there in the world. Yeah. And so when when our board asked me to be CEO, I was legitimately shocked. I'm like, what? Huh? Huh? Me? Sure. Okay. I mean, okay. Um, and, and it wasn't false modesty. Um, there'd always been this vague plan that I would be the successor, but there hadn't been a defined time frame. There hadn't been a specific plan. There was no, well, once you tick that last thing off the, the to-do list, this happens. Um, but when the opportunity presented itself, mm. I realised how much I wanted it. Um, yes. And in some cases I had contemplated, well, if it ever happened, would I even want to do it? Do I want to be the one thinking about strategy? Do I want to be the one who has to deal with shareholders and look externally when I love the culture and internal piece so much? And it's not until someone says, do you want it, that you're forced to have that binary decision because the answer is yes or no. Um, yeah. And in that moment, the answer was yes. It took me one second. I probably should have played harder to get. I was like, yes. That sounds wonderful. Really? Are you sure? Um, So um, being considered wasn't a strong suit. And so um, there was no defined path to get here, but I'm really glad I'm I'm here. Yeah. 
I love that. And uh, you would have heard the saying about if it's not a, a hell yes, then it's a hell no. And I think this is a perfect example of going, yep, yep, I mean, don't need to think about it. Don't need to dilly-dally or, um, you know, play, play the game. Just, yep, I'm absolutely in and, and not having to worry about it. That's incredible. I love it. Um, so you mentioned that you went through quite a few, I guess, different areas. So firstly, when you um, were working Isolate, was that really, I guess, your first taste of trialling out different areas within a business? It really was. Um, and the role evolved. So when I first started, it was running an inbound call centre. So I yep. had three teams. And then we looked at the customer journey and we thought, well, you know, a lot of people come to the website and then they drop out. Maybe we should call them. Um, and so I had to work out how we would do that. And so suddenly I became, actually I remember a salesperson cold called me uh, about a telephony system. I said, do you have an outbound dialer? And he said, yes. And I'm like, okay, cool. And ended up implementing this piece of telephony technology that I had no idea about and ended up working really closely with, with that vendor and, and with that technology over the next few years. Yeah. And I think that's where I started to, I think outsourcing helps as well. And I actually think call centres are a really interesting grounding for a generalist because they are fundamentally about the customer because it's the cold face of customer experience. Mm. They're fundamentally at the heart of culture and people. Yeah. Because you're managing big teams of people. Mm. They're enabled mm. by technology and there's huge amounts of rich data. Yes. And you have to be able to move between all four of them. Yeah. And so the call center was a really great grounding for that. I select, but I was I was executing on structures and plans and using technologies and managing people that already existed. Yeah. And I select, I got to build. And so I got to yes. take that foundational knowledge, lead the team, build the technology, transform the customer experience, and then start to leverage that data to say, well, how do we do it better the next time? How do we do it better the next time? Um, yeah. It was the first time I understood data science. Um, and worked really closely with data scientists to build predictive algorithms. Um, how, how do we know if Bob, the consultant, is going to have a bad day? Um, yeah. How do we then say to a team leader, hey, go and check in on Bob because we don't think he's quite right today. Yeah. He's not having a good day. How do you predict when someone's going to pick up the phone? How do you prioritize the leads that come in? And it became really, really interesting. Yeah. And it was always at that, and all businesses at that juxtaposition of people, customer, data, and technology. Um, yeah. And that's where I think the generalist skills. So I can't code, but I love technology. Yeah. I don't know a lot about HR, but I value culture more than anything. Um, yeah. I can't do data science, but gee, I love knowing that we have a predictive algorithm and I know what questions to ask. Um, yeah. If you don't serve the customer, I'm not, I don't have a marketing degree, but I fully understand how your product needs to align with the customers. And so it's that generalism that yeah. Isolect really gave me that grounding in because a, a model, so a business model like Isolect, you're not selling your own products. You're selling the experience. Mm. So there's nothing that you can buy from an iSelect or a Compare the Market you know, or a Woolworths that you can't buy from someone else. Yeah. But any form of marketplace business is actually about how do you make the customer experience the best that it can be? And you leverage yeah. people, data, and technology to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, you're a bit of a trendsetter then because don't they predict that data scientists are going to be in the top five? Yeah, job job true. skills or job requirements in the in the next five like, years 
I think weirdly they were the, the sexiest job of 2019 and no offense to all my data scientists I don't know if sexy is the word I would use to describe them I used to work at the Bureau of Stats we love data there obviously Um, that is so great and I think it's really affirming I mean I work with a lot of leaders that are you know in this kind of position where they're looking to level up their own leadership looking to level up their skills and they're going okay how do I strategically map out my next 5, 10, 15 year plan so that I can get to where I want to be going and I think that causes a lot of a lot of stress for people because we're like, oh, which which door do we open and which way is it going to lead us? And whilst to choose your own adventure is very, very fun, it's not necessarily going to be getting us where we want to be going. And uh, particularly in the late last 18 months, and you'd be aware of this as well, is people have been really still and gone, okay, what is it that I actually want? Did you have a point in your career when you, you know, when you have taken the generalist route and uh, hadn't necessarily mapped out your path to CEO have you had a moment uh in your history where you've gone okay this is where I think I'm going or actually I'm way off track and I need to need to re-divert when I when I decided to to study an MBA um I was late 20s Mm -hmm. and as much as I had learned a lot the my career had evolved so yeah I'd been in the same business for six years um I was reasonably smart. I had some amazing mentors. And so opportunities appeared, but they were a mishmash. Yeah. And I looked at where I was and that was great, but I couldn't see what was next. Do I just go yeah. and like manage a bigger call center? Like what, yeah. what is now that, now that I'm have eight years of being a call center manager. Yeah. What do you, what do you go do next? Mm-hmm. And late 20s is that funny part of your career where through a series of accidents, you've got too much experience in something to get a junior job. Yeah. Your lifestyle has evolved to, to meet the income that you're earning. Um, but if that's not the career that you want, it's really hard. And the older you get, the harder it can be to make that shift. And so for me, it was that. And it was, it was actually sitting in an office really late one night. I was supposed to be at a friend's birthday and we were mm-hmm. on, on King William Street in Melbourne. And I remember looking out and it was dark. I should have been at this party and I was figuring something out on a PL. And I thought, this is not what I have planned for my life. Yes. And I hadn't planned anything. That was the problem. Um, but this isn't what I had imagined. I now need a plan. And so for me, an MBA was um, a way to get a senior level qualification that was a I mean it's a fundamentally generalist qualification so the irony yeah. is that it was the thing that transformed my career and now my entire role is about getting as many people to do MBAs as possible to transform their careers it's yeah. sort of this incredible bookend of a moment that I never knew would lead to the moment that it is today but that was that was the fork in the road yeah um, and it was choosing to go left instead of straight um, that led me to here, still not in a perfectly planned way, but in a far more deliberate and focused way, while also not giving up on the more organic opportunities that present themselves. And I think that having that flexibility has been really important to me to mm-hmm. get out of corporate world for a period of time, but yeah. do that deliberately and knowingly, whereas yeah. historically it had been totally organic rather wow. than rather than choosing to deviate from the path. Yeah. 
It was no yeah. problem. It sort of flopped around. Yeah. So do you think that then studying your MBA, because I know that a lot of people, um, you know, it's this thing that the study that you're going to do, once you've got your MBA, then you've made it, and then that's going to open up all of these doors for you. Did you find that in terms of the qualification or was it more of the experience of actually studying MBA, learning at a deeper level around what it meant um, to run a business or all of the areas of business? Or what was it for you that I guess was the driving motivation to, to have an MBA? I think when I originally made the decision, it was more just I get to be Joe Thomas, comma, MBA, and people value that. Yeah, right. And I, think that's, I think that's still true today, by the way. I, I don't think yep. that's untrue. But that was my motivation. I don't think I went into it necessarily with a learning mindset. It was a, this is the box that you tick, because if you need to show people that you're a serious business person, then yep. you get an MBA. Yeah. Um, I still think employers value an MBA for that. Yeah. Um, but actually, there were two other components that I got out of the MBA that I probably didn't foresee. One was it does give you enough information about a lot of things. Yep. That you can ask the right questions of the specialists. Mm-hmm. And so that is as you move into more senior roles, it means you can't get fleeced. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you also don't have to be the expert and yeah so that also forces you to be a better delegator which was something mm. that I struggled with yeah um, whereas knowing just enough meant I could be involved but not yep. do all the work myself um, and you also build a network um, yeah. and I thought the network would be you know I'll meet senior people and they'll give me a job yeah and actually that hasn't been it at all yeah. The network that you build instead is the support from people while you're on that journey because it's hard work doing an MBA. It is a yeah. sacrifice of time and money. Um, so there's the support that you get on that journey, but it's also having a network over the subsequent years to be able to say, hey, I'm looking for someone for this role. Do you know anyone? I've run into this issue. Um, how would you approach it? This is your area of expertise. Hey, I'm thinking of going for a job at this organisation and I see you know people there. Can you find out if they're decent humans for me or not before I before I commit to it? Yeah. And so because it's people from all walks of life, it gives you this network outside of your little microcosm. Um, and that is something that I've really valued yeah actually something that when I came to AIB I was worried about because mm-hmm. I thought, well, how are you going to get that with an online MBA yeah you're doing it at home in your living room you're not yeah. going to class and then going out for a drink or a coffee afterwards yeah and the weirdest part of it is I now think that online MBAs particularly in this digital world create a community better than yeah. the in-person ones because now everyone's so busy so if you're in person you drive after work, you're exhausted. Um, you do your three-hour lecture, you get in your car and you go home. Um, and most people who do MBAs have families. So I was quite young when I did mine. I was in my late 20s. But it's far more common for people to be doing it in their late 30s now. Yeah. So you just don't have that time to be going to the pub afterwards. Whereas you can be in that WhatsApp group together. You can be in that Skype group together. You can quickly have a Zoom call on Saturday morning while you're also watching the kids play soccer, which you yeah. couldn't do when I did it. And so the level of community that we have at AIB, weirdly, and and for me the most surprisingly, um, is probably better than the network that I managed to build. So now I'm now I feel ripped off. <laughs> you can do it again. 
Um, I think what you're saying is is so true. And I think even though we are, you know, Zoom fatigued and people are sick of being online, what I've certainly noticed and valued over the last 18 months where, you know, jumping jumping into a Teams or a, a Google Meet or whatever we want to call it, whatever platform you're using, is that, and you, you'd be familiar with this now that you've been in Adelaide for a little while, is we were quite Adelaide-centric. Well, I'm, I'm in Adelaide, obviously, quite Adelaide-centric. So you'd kind of stick to your area and you would have known now if you live south, you don't ever go north. And if you live north, you very rarely travel south. Yeah. And there's all of these kind of weird geographical rules um, that no one's ever told you it's just not a not a done thing and what I find now with online is instead of just being Adelaide now it's national but not only is it national it's opening up accessibility connection worldwide instantly Uh, and I know I've certainly had my socks blown off um, with just the amount of incredible people that I've been able to connect with here on the podcast that I've met through my various networks and communities. And what you're saying is so true. Um, I've got a, a, a group that's called the CEO Advisory Boardroom, which is from execs and, and CEOs around the world who are looking for that connection, are looking to go, hey, I need someone on my advice on my advice panel because I don't have people to talk to yeah. that are around me that I can, you know, be really open, vulnerable, transparent with. And I've got these problems and I need need some help. So I'm so glad that there's the community within AIB that can offer that because people are thirsty for it now more than ever. And you're so right with the geography, which I hadn't even thought about. I should have thought about that. You know, I, I went to a, a university in Melbourne. And so everyone who went there lived in the southeast of Melbourne because yeah. you wouldn't have travelled there unless you lived in the southeast of Melbourne. And so that meant it was a pretty homogenous group of people. Um, we have students in 112 countries across the world. Amazing. You're just yeah. as likely to be in a class with somebody from Trinidad and Tobago as you are with somebody from Canada as Adelaide. Um, and so that global network, and you know, particularly now with remote work, this globalization and, and working from anywhere, it'll yep. be interesting to see how it pans out, but having a global network, I think, will be more important than, than ever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think what we're going to start noticing and probably in the next five years is this, you know, we're talking about a war on talent, but now instead of your talent being local is we're going, hey, actually, as long as we can be flexible with working hours, we are now opening up our doors and our business and our organisation to be able to get some of the best, best of the best from anywhere around the world. And that is exciting to me in terms of, you know, building cultures and, and performance and things like that. Oh, how exciting. So my question, can we go back to how you ended up LED lighting? So I I finished it at Compare the Market and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. I wasn't sure that corporate life was for me anymore. Um, I had prioritised my career above all things, so above health, above relationships, um, I worked ridiculous hours. I put on a huge amount of weight. Um, I hadn't had a, a long-term partner for a really long time. Um, all of my friends, all of my engagement with people was essentially work-related. Um, and, of course, because I live in Australia instead of New Zealand, so my family were all in New Zealand. Yeah, of course. I, I was, so how long ago is this now? I was mid-30s. And I suddenly thought, I'm not 100% sure that I am making the right balanced decisions in life to bring myself joy. 
Um, and I'm not 100% sure that I want to work for someone, but I also know that I'm not cut out for sitting in a, in a co-working space or sitting in my garage and, and mapping something out, startup land on my own. Yeah. I'm, I'm an extrovert. I need people. I get energy from people. I'm an optimizer more than a creator. Um, and so this idea of, of going out entirely on my own and starting something from scratch was probably too risky for my risk profile, but also mm-hmm. just didn't set my heart alight. But I also wanted autonomy and I also wanted to ride my horse on the weekend. And I thought maybe it would be nice to actually commit emotionally to someone rather than I'm too busy. You can only come over on a Saturday night. Um, So uh, a a good friend of mine who I'd worked with at Isolate, so I still couldn't escape the the ecosystem, had (laughs) taken over his dad's business. And he said to me, and I was living in Brisbane at the time, and I just started a relationship with someone. And I thought, I might give this a crack. And he said, well, JT, why don't you invest in the business and you can, we'll set up a subsidiary and we'll be co-shareholders and we've got a business model, but you can do whatever you want with it. Um, And let's grow this business together. And he was someone I I really trust and he was someone who I got on really well with. Um, And it was just so mad and out there um, but also exciting. It was this perfect blend of autonomy, but still being with people. Yeah. Um, never negotiated a lease before. I'd never fitted out an office before. Um, I hired a team. We built it from nothing into a into a seven figure business within twelve months, which was really exciting. But we still had the support of the of the parent company. Um, and so I stayed up in Queensland for a couple of years. The relationship turned into something meaningful, which was awesome. Um, was- <sighs> so it turned out that actually seeing somebody more than just on a Saturday night is good for a relationship Ah, I've dragged dragged her around the country now Um, and we ended up moving to Melbourne and I ended up working in head office for a year Um, but I missed the scale of a big business yeah uh, maybe just because I'm extroverted. Um, and I, I loved the family business, but I was hungry to, to get back into scale. And that's how I ended up at AIB. So that was the, the transition into LED, into LED lighting was partly about getting away from something and partly about working out what was important to me. Yep. Um, so that this whole life work balance thing is rubbish, right? And, and the minute you think, that there's this set of scales and you're yeah. constantly trading things off, then you, you've already lost and you're going to be constantly mad at yourself and guilty and then actually you just waste time feeling mad and guilty, which is pointless. Yeah. But if, if you get clarity on what's important to you and at different times in your life, different things are important, then you make deliberate decisions about which things bubble up. And a great friend of mine, she said, I like to think about the different parts of my life as an orchestra. And I like to think about myself as the conductor. So this is her analogy, not mine. And she says, and so at different times, the conductor brings up certain parts of the orchestra. So the violins are now taking are now taking precedence. So that might be work. But then at other times, you want to bring in the family component. And I think that's such a wonderful analogy. I love it. So that, that was LED lighting. That was about, I still think work's really important, but I also want to work out what the rest of life looks like. Yeah. And that gave me a chance to do both. Yeah, slow down to speed up. Yeah, 
That is fantastic. And I think for all of our listeners that are listening here today, it's just, it's refreshing to hear that you can chop and change and you can do something that's completely out of what you thought was your your plan for life. Um, And it's going to be okay when you come out the other side of it. And on that note, what are your top five tips for, for leaders? What have you got? I think tip number one should be write these things down beforehand. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Now I'm at four at least. Um, I think, look, my number one is to always um, be yourself. Mm, I love it. I know that I am not to everyone's taste. I know that I don't always fit the mould of what a CEO looks like or how they speak. I can be goofy. I can swear too much. I can get passionate and ranty about things. Um, I sometimes have a lot of conflict and sometimes I hate conflict. Um, I have learned that the exhaustion of operating outside of who you are, it's exhausting Um, and you can't do it. And for a year, I remember doing a personality test at one point in the role and I realised that all of the really like successful blokes in the room were all like red on this personality test. And, and I wasn't, I was like two people pleasery. Yeah. Technically had a better profile, but they were all more successful and earned more than me. And so for a year, I was really, really bullshy. Um, and I got promoted and it worked. But oh God, I was exhausted by the end of that year. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, and, and I, sometimes I kind of hate the word authentic because I think it has become overused, but how do you get, brutally honest with yourself about your strengths and weaknesses and who you are yep um how do you lean heavily on the strengths Mm, yep we polish them up here too yep don't don't weasel out of your weaknesses don't be like oh i'm just not very good at that yeah and not not invest in it but be non-judgmentally observational love it yeah and i think for me I can, without ego, talk about my strengths and without shame, talk about my weaknesses. Um, and I think when you can do that, then A, you know yourself and B, it takes a lot of the heat out of um, not, not getting opportunities that actually wouldn't have gelled for you Yeah, because that can be horrible. Yeah. So um, know yourself. <laughs> Always be yourself, but equally... That doesn't mean being a hot mess yeah, and abdicating responsibility for the strengths and weaknesses. So I do really want to highlight that because I think sometimes it means, well, if that's just who I am, everyone just has to suck it up. And and that's not right either. You need to know, again, we'll use the orchestra analogy, which parts of yourself do you amplify and when? Which parts of yourself do you quiet down and Mm -hmm. when? and why and be deliberate and conscious and authentic about that um rather than well i am i am and everyone else just has to suck it up because you need to be different things to different people but those different things should always still be you yep i absolutely love that and i'm of a very similar thought around strengths you know we spend so much time focusing on our weaknesses whereas i think amplify what you're good at unless it's a fundamental flaw your weaknesses then uh then absolutely do it uh work on them but whilst whilst we spend so much time trying to fix what's wrong essentially focus on what's right and then go with that yeah yeah um so my number two is know your numbers yes Um, i think that is one that too often is a weakness for people 
and we go, oh, I'm not a numbers person. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you need to become a numbers person. Now, you don't have to be an accountant and you don't have to be a data scientist, but if you are to run a successful business, yeah. if you are to be a successful leader, you need to know your numbers. You need to know how they fit together. You need to know that moving something here changes something over here and by how yeah. much. You yeah. need to be able to do simple maths in your head um, on the fly so that you can evaluate decisions. If you can't, there's a very handy calculator on every phone that you can quickly use while people are talking. I think people think if I'm texting, I'm just doing the numbers. Um, so you have to know your numbers. And if you need to go and do a course, if you need to go and learn from someone, if you need to do Excel for dummies, so at least you learn the basics, um, you absolutely, and I don't just mean profit and loss numbers. I mean, if I have this many leads, and they go to this landing page, what's my conversion rate? What does that mean? If this changes by this, what does that mean? If I am booking appointments, how many appointments do I need to book in order for this to happen? If I I have this many customers, how many people do I need to actually service them? So you have to be able to understand how things fit together. Um, It's critically important. And it's one that um, I, I think people shrug their shoulders and think that not knowing their numbers is a personality thing. Mm. it's not it's a they're scary and maths at school sucked and made us feel like we weren't numbers people but basic arithmetic will solve 99% of your business problems if you can add divide multiply and subtract you're pretty much okay and all those years where we were told you know you won't be walking around with a calculator in your pocket and ha there's no excuse now is there in our pocket all the time and so understand the relationship because then you can do the calculation but if you don't know that this affects this how are you going to work out what the numbers are so true that is so so true i love it Uh, know your people ah good um i think if you're leading an organization understanding um who your people are and taking time so i have time in my calendar that's called wanda Um, and I go and I wander and I interrupt people and I talk nonsense at their desk or I go and make a cup of tea, 17 um, tip it down, make another one for the next person. No, don't do that. Um, But get to know your people. Um, It gives you two huge benefits. Um, One is it's just a a critical culture um, temperature take. Um, If people know that you're out there and you're talking to them and you're listening to them, um, they're more likely to tell you when things aren't working Mm. and it builds trust. And so um, there's a component of it that just means people are worth investing in. And if they know you give a crap, then they will always help you. Um, it gives you an insight into the friction points within the organization for your customers and for your people. Yeah. You don't necessarily get by looking at the numbers Um, because data is useful, but experience is also useful. And they both make sense when you can look at them together. Um, Particularly the more senior you get, the more time you can spend in PowerPoints and in Excel and in external meetings with people. So for me, that's why I schedule time. Yeah, I would love it to just be organic, 
But if I went wandering at eight o'clock at night when I've finished doing my work, there's no one left to talk to. So exactly. time to do it. Um, and it's really, really important. So we at number, that must be number four. That is number four. Can I ask a, a logistics question when you've got Wanda? Are you doing that daily, weekly, monthly? What's your cadence around deliberate so I, wandering? I would, I would try to do it multiple times a week. Yep. A week where there's board meetings might be might be tricky. I might only do it once or twice. Yeah. Um, I would like to do it every day. Yeah. Um, historically, I did it every day. It's dropped off a bit lately, which is why I'm being really conscious about it. So part of this is a commitment to myself to get back into it. Um, yeah. And for me, because I'm I am an extrovert, it refills my batteries. So I'm actually better at doing the focused work if I do that. Yeah. unstructured distracted engagement yeah. with people work um, and it gives you a chance to rehearse things um so my which probably leads me to my just thought of fifth one yes um which is there's, there's two parts to it so i get i get teased sometimes for repeating myself yeah and some of it is because i think while i talk then I rehearse it and then I deliver the final message. Nice. Yep. So sometimes that happens all in the same meeting. Um, but it's really important to get clear on what you're trying to say. So I will rehearse with trusted people all the time. Um, this is kind of what I'm thinking from a strategy point of view. And as I say, I think, oh, no, 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 I don't think that makes sense. Um, I then get their reaction. That then feeds into the next iteration. Sometimes by the time I'm delivering an important message, I might have rehearsed it with myself, with other people, six, seven, eight, nine times. Yeah. And that's, that's never been deliberate. But since stepping into the CEO role, it has become more deliberate because ensuring that a message lands yeah. and it lands clearly and it lands concisely and I'm not thinking on my feet when delivering an important message to the audience to whom it's important um, has become a really critical part of it. Um, and so you need to find the people that you can safely rehearse with because sometimes they have vested interests and so you don't want to accidentally be burdening people as part of your um, as part of your rehearsal, so they may be internal, they may be external, but having that clarity means you can land the message because the yeah. second part of it is you'll think you've explained something really clearly to someone. Yes. You're like, well, team, we all know that what we need to do now is be very clear about why we're doing something, have a plan on how we're going to do it, and have a measure of success as to how will we know if it's worked. So this has been my mantra for the last four months. Yeah. I've probably said it, so it makes perfect sense. You should all be able to repeat it back to me now. Yep. Probably said it 75 times. And I think, God, people must be sick of hearing it. But until someone says it back to you as if that, that's what they're thinking, it hasn't landed. So you always have to repeat stuff more often than you thought. So get clear yeah. on the first one and then just do it 74 more times. That's good. I like that. Um, you're preaching to converted, and I think we do. We need to keep keep repeating, keep repeating, keep repeating. And then my definition of get clear versus your definition of get clear, very different things. And that's where uh, that's where the problems begin or the gaps, I should say. Yeah, brilliant. Did we skip four and go to five, or was that four and five together? That was number five. That was number five. Brilliant. Number one was write the list before the person asks you the question. <laughs> 
<laughs> Important. Well, here we go. Then one, either number one or number five point five is um, be be prepared. Something be pre- doesn't come naturally to me. Um, yeah, have been um, in some ways operating against my nature for the last yes. months, but preparation has been key. Yeah. Um, understanding what so stopping planning and preparing yeah rather than oh i've got a great shiny idea i'm gonna run at it which is yes personality yes um, is not an effective way of leading an organization yes and love so that being prepared and planning um, has far more value than i had ever ascribed to it i described intellectual value to it but i had done the as I've cautioned other people not to do the cop-out with numbers, I'd done the cop-out on planning. It's yeah. just not really my personality. I'm more organic. It's about synthesizing. Yeah. Is that sure, great, sometimes useful skill to have. Don't use it as an excuse not to be a good planner. And so that's been some stern advice that I've had to give myself over the last four months. I love it. Love it. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on today. Uh, for people who are looking to connect and uh, find out a little bit more about you, where do you like to hang out? Um, I am not as prolific as I probably should be, but LinkedIn is where I tend to be. Uh, Joe Thomas 77 on LinkedIn. Brilliant. And I will put those links into the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. It's been amazing. Thank you, Ali. Appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali.madeformore on facebook and instagram i hope you have an awesome week and i'll catch you again soon bye bye